Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bon Voyage World Language Experience. I am Elizabeth Porter, your language lady, and I am back after somewhat of a hiatus. Um, I know it's been a while since I have put out an episode, and let me tell you, um, I was hoping we would be kind of back to quote-unquote normal by now. Um, it is now May 25th in Washington State is still on a stay-at-home order. And theoretically, we are supposed to be done with that stay-at-home order by May 31st, which is next Sunday, or this, yeah, next Sunday. Um, however, I don't know if the governor will extend or not. So, um Pretty much everything has been canceled. All of my events have been canceled. Um, and I'm, I'm not able to take students to France this summer, which I'm really bummed about. But we're also um, working on a lot of new projects with Bon Voyage, which is really exciting. Um, we just set up a brand new Spain, Spain program. So that is super exciting. Um, and yeah, so anyway, on with the show, right? Um, I'm coming to you today with um, a bunch of different topics to talk about. Usually I, I go on one topic and then I kind of do a little bird walk and <laughs> whatever. But um, today I'm coming to you with a couple of different topics. So I want to talk to you today um, first um, about my friend, Stephen Langlois, also known as ATN, also known as DJ Delph in Canada. Um, this guy's amazing. If you don't know him, he is a he's a French teacher in Canada who um, is also a rock star. So he turned his French teaching, if that's a verb, <laughs> I don't know if that's a verb or not. Um, he turned his French teaching into becoming a rock star. So he literally sells out stadiums to French teachers and their students. And um, I, years and years ago, I, I was at one of his shows and they, I mean, it's just incredible, but um, he does all these songs and he does really cool, engaging, comprehensible input stuff. Um, but one thing I didn't know about him is that he is also a, a general ed teacher, gen ed, um, and he's in Canada. And so he does a lot of performance. I mean, he does performance-based learning in pretty much everything that he does. Um, I mean, honestly, like literally performing, right? Literally. <laughs> um, he has taken teaching to the next level for sure. Um, but I didn't know that he was also a gen ed teacher. So um, he and I are working on a little project together. We are, um, both of us are language teachers, both of us are gen ed teachers, um, both of us are curriculum specialists, and both of us are now authors. So he and I both just came out with a, a book, a new book. So I came out with my new book called The Performance-Based Solution, Eliminating Standardized Testing in Favor of Student-Centered Learning. And we all know, if you listen to me um, often, you know how much 
against testing I am. I mean, throw out all those tests, right? Well, he just came out with a book, Stephen did, called Rock Your Class. How to Become a Teacher Rockstar, right? So um, I just, I was reading his book over the weekend. It's incredible. Tons and tons and tons and tons of ideas and so much aligns with what I do. So he and I are actually working on a project together. Um, we are, we are putting on a homeschool, a virtual homeschool convention. And we have two different dates. We've got our first date is July 9th. And the second date is August 21st and 22nd. And it's free for those to, to attend. And what we were thinking in this is, you know, a lot of parents are now, because a lot of stuff is up in the air. I mean, we don't know if we're going to be going back to school. We don't know, you know, what that's going to look like. There's going to be a lot of online learning um, happening and a lot of, you know, um, online, you know, distance learning type things, both synchronous and asynchronous. So I, we came up with this idea to have this homeschool conference and really help parents prepare for this, but also help teachers. Because, you know, I, I work online all the time and I teach from online. And so I've been working really hard. And that's another reason why I haven't been on with the podcast for a while is because I've been working really hard to help teachers um, do their lessons online. One thing that I've heard over and over and over again is we don't know how to teach online. We don't have the resources and we don't have the training. And a lot of the school districts, a lot of the teachers that I've been talking to um, are keep telling me, you know, our school district says, here's a list of things to use, go use them, but we don't know how. So um, Etienne and I decided that we were going to do this joint effort. We're going to show um, parents how to support their kids um, while they're, you know, doing this distance learning. We're going to work with new homeschool parents. We're going to show them how to design performance-based learning in their homes. And um, so I want to talk about something that I'm working on right now with my my own kids. Um, but first, I want to highly recommend Stephen's book. If you're a teacher, if you're a homeschool parent, um, it's fascinating. It's amazing. It's called Rock Your Class. It's available on Amazon. Um, my new book is called The Performance-Based Solution, um, also available Amazon, Barnes & Noble, um, pretty much anywhere you can buy a book. My book is available. Um, there's a whole bunch of smaller um, bookstores that have purchased the book um, I, and are selling it. And you can also get it on my new website, which is languagewiththefivesenses.com. And I will put uh, links to both books in the show notes. Um, but what I, what I was noticing um, a lot of when I'm working with my children, first of all, I, you know, I, I dislike testing very, very much. Um, I believe that Pearson is the evil empire of education, um, and I will not quit saying that. I think that Pearson and all these corporations are 100% ruining our education system. And um, so when I was doing research for the book, um, I found it was even worse. I mean, there are things that I know about 
the corporations that basically have their tentacles in our um, education system that um, many people don't know. But one of the things that I found out was this is a $2 billion, billion with a B, a $2 billion industry. And some of the wealthiest people in this country run these very large education corporations. Guess how many of those people are educators? Zero. And guess how many of the people who actually write the curriculum are educators? Not very many. Um, and so I really wanted to delve into this. And, and one of the things that I get a lot of times when um, I'm coaching teachers and I'm talking about performance-based assessment is in performance-based learning is that I'm not, I either get, I'm not creative enough for that. My uh, administrator won't let me do that, or it just takes too much time. So I wanted to give teachers a tool that they could use that um, I showed, you know, lots of resources in the book. Um, and also just some examples of the graphic organizers that I use, the things that I use to create my own units. And I'm going to talk to you in just a second about a unit that I am working on for my kids um, right now in just a minute. But um, I also explore where learning trauma comes from. And um, I'm going to do a whole show on learning trauma because I think it's a really um, it's a really important subject. Like we don't realize that the way in which we push all this testing and put all this pressure on our kids causes severe learning trauma. I have severe learning trauma. Um, and it doesn't have to be anything humongous. I mean, we think trauma and we think, oh my gosh, that's, you know, something really, really bad must have happened. But I, I have a, a severe math phobia from just ex a, a continuous exposure to um, high anxiety work that I had to do in math and, um, you know, being put on the spot a lot and failing, constant failure. And so let I want to show us, um, and then I want to show educators how we can, as educators, can turn this around for our students by using performance-based learning. The second thing that I wanted to do with this book was explain to parents what, um, that they do have the choice to opt out of testing, first of all. Second of all, that they, um, the testing really doesn't measure anything. It's, it's highly ineffective and it really doesn't do anything. And so they don't have to support it. And I think a lot of times parents are, um, you know, led to believe that these tests are effective, that they're necessary. And that their kids will not graduate high school without them, which is 100% not true. And um, in fact, in my research, which boggled my mind, people who are paid minimum wage, they don't even have to have um, a, a college degree. All they have to do is have graduated high school and they grade these tests. They don't even have like, like the essay questions and stuff. They don't even have educators grading these tests. They don't have people that are have higher educations grading these tests. These are things that are not common knowledge because, you know, these corporations don't want us to know these things. So 
Anyway, so I wanted to do this as kind of a, a, a hybrid book of educating parents and also educating uh, teachers on how to do it. And, you know, to be quite perfectly honest, there are a lot of things that teachers don't know um, about this testing industry as well. So that's what I was doing in the book. Um, and I have a whole section on um, where you can find, because I don't, I am a uh, curriculum specialist for world languages, English language arts, ELL, and um, which I which I put into world languages, but ELL extends a little bit more into like gen ed as well um, and uh, social studies. So I don't do a lot of math and science. Um, and so we have brought on for the conference, we brought on Blair Lee, who is a just an amazing person. Um, a, an expert in her field of science. And we've also brought on um, Victoria Kazi, who is, um, she owns a, a company called Money Munch Kids, um, doing uh, real life practical math with kids. Um, and she's amazing as well. Um, but for math and science, I do teachers pay teachers. Like I am, I, let's see, how much should I pay on teachers, pay teachers? I think I bought like a hundred dollars worth of curriculum on teachers, pay teachers last week. Not joking. Like I will 100% support teachers who write curriculum. In fact, if you bring me something and you wrote it and it's performance-based learning and it's high quality and my kids are going to, my and I refer to my own kids, but I also refer to my students as my kids, like most teachers do. So um, seriously, like I will, I, I will support any, any teacher who writes curriculum. I think that's wonderful. I think supporting teachers who write curriculum is an amazing way to um, give a big, um, well, go away, let's just put it that way, <laughs> to the um, those large curriculum corporations, for sure, especially Pearson. There's some other names that I don't like as well, um, but it's all in the book. So let me talk to you about um, something that I am working on right now. So I really want to all of my travels been canceled. And those of you who listen to me often know that I travel a lot. Um, usually I'm gone about twice a month and, um, from March until November. And I'm usually gone in Europe somewhere. Uh, a lot of the times, well, I, we just got this brand new, um, Spanish immersion program. I'm so excited about this Spanish immersion program. Um, and this is this is something that I'm going to talk about too because I so it took me a really long time to partner with Cabilam and get um, a program that I really supported and loved in France, and I've been doing this Cabilam program for a long time. But Spain, um, the first time I ever took students to Spain, and I had, you know, I lived in Europe, but Spain was not a country that I had really visited before. I'd been to the Costa del Sol um, on vacation for like a weekend when I was in college. But um, other than that, I hadn't really visited Spain. So um, I was approached by a program called Hola in Spain. 
And um, a lot of people at uh, parents at Bon Voyage and stuff, they had been asking, you know, about um, about when when we would have a Spanish program. I said, oh, I don't know. I don't know. So finally, I met with Anna. She's from Ola. And um, we talked and I she and I are like kindred spirits, like she and I are a whole bunch of like. But um the program is in Toledo and the students fly into Madrid. Well, I had the first year that I ever took students abroad. Um, I had a terrible, terrible experience in Spain. And it wasn't just like one experience. It's like one thing after another, after another. So like we get there and I was, you have to keep in mind, I was only 24 at this time. So I was like there barely older than my seniors that had just graduated And the Spanish teacher who was supposed to go with us on this trip, she, um, her husband got uh, a brain tumor and so she was not able to go. So she ended up canceling. So I took my mother-in-law instead as the other chaperone. Um, And so we get to Spain and I, I lived in Europe. I'm, so I figured I was pretty savvy. I, I knew how to travel, you know, I'd travel all over we get to Spain and um, the first day, so we got off the plane, we got to our hostel, all that, that went great. Next day we woke up and we went out and we're sitting in the big square in Madrid. I can't even remember what it's called right now. I'd have to look it up. Um, and I set my bag down between my feet and all of a sudden my mother-in-law goes, Elizabeth, Elizabeth. And I looked down, and this guy is trying to drag the bag away from my feet. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Okay. So, guess I can't put that down by my feet. Never had that problem in France before. But anyway. Um, so, I was like, all right. That's fine. So not, uh, later that afternoon, we were in the metro in Madrid going somewhere. I can't even, I can't even remember where we were going. Um, but we were in the metro in Madrid. And um, I see, I, I look over at one of my students and I see this guy reaching down over her shoulder into her purse. So I whispered her name and I go, Katie, Katie. And she like batted the guy away. Well, all of a sudden there's a knife in my back. I, um, I had... My dress was cut open. I had, I never carry a money belt ever, ever. But I thought since I had all the students' money with me, I would do it. And I knew better. I knew better, but I, I did it anyway. So the money belt was cut off of me. They also cut my bag open, stole my wallet, stole my passport, stole my military ID. So I had to go to um, the embassy I had to leave all these students with my mother-in-law and I had to go to the embassy. And um, fortunately, my husband at the time, he was deployed. And so I was able to get my passport for free. But all the money that was stolen in cash was gone. And the money that I had in the bank my debit cards were stolen. I never traveled debit card, debit cards with students anymore. I mean, I learned so much from this. Like this was in 2004. No, 2005. So I was 25. Sorry. But anyway, um, 2005. So it was a while ago. Very first trip with students. So anyway, um, then 
we finally, I got everything squared away. We went to Barcelona. And in Barcelona, in front of our hotel was, it was a very nice, very cute little hotel, very sweet little plaza or whatever where we were staying. Soon as it turned evening time, all the prostitutes came out with their pimps and guys were grabbing at my girls, my, the girls on my trip. So one of them grabbed at a girl and tried to take her. And so we ended up in the, at the police station for that. I swear to you, I, soon as we got to France, we, we arrived in Marseille. I got off the train and kissed the ground. I was so happy to be in France. I cannot even tell you. So, um, so anyway, I have not been back to Spain since then. And so I was going to send one of my Spanish teachers and I thought, no, you know what? I am the director of international programs. I need to go myself. I check out all of our other programs. I'm going to check this one out. I'm, this is, this is on me. I'm going to go do it. So I am choosing to have a different attitude this time. I am choosing to be excited. I booked uh, my kids and I to go to Madrid in December. Um, Instead of going to France, we're going to go to Madrid. And um, I decided that I was going to make this a learning experience and a growth experience for both myself and my children. Now, many of you know that we world school part-time. So I take my kids places when I'm going somewhere interesting. But I remembered that the Reina Sofia um, is in Madrid, which is a, a museum that has the, the, the Guernica. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. And Picasso is Spanish and also Salvador Dali. There's a lot of Dali um, art in the Reina Sofia. So what I'm doing currently is I got um, some... Uh, some resources and I am um, and, and my kids already know about Picasso because he you can go to the Picasso Museum in Paris too. Picasso lived um, a lot of his um, old adult life in France as well. So I got a book called um, Getting to Know the World's Greatest Artist, Pablo Picasso. I got the same um, the same one. It's a scholastic book. Um, scholastic. It's hit or miss with me. I don't have a huge problem with Scholastic like I have with the other ones um, because these are more independent. But this one was recommended to me. Um, and then I got um, a similar book on Salvador Dali. And um, I also um, scoured Teachers Pay Teachers for um, Spanish lessons on the Spanish Civil War and the Guernica and, um, you know, just Pablo Picasso in general. So I am uh, designing a performance-based learning uh, unit, thematic unit on Picasso and another one on Dolly. And we are going to talk about, um, we're going to integrate, you know, all 
of our subject areas in there. Um, we're going to talk about cubism. We're going to talk about surrealism. We're going to talk about the Spanish Civil War. Um, we're going to talk about how to um, interpret a painting, how to read a painting. Um, we are going to learn some, some the history of the lives of the artists. Um, and it's going to be um, uh, um, an amazing educational experience. And then what we're going to do is our final culminating project of this um, will be that the, the children will um, make a painting with my kids love to paint. They love to paint. They love to play with clay. They love it. So they'll do some kind of art project um, with either cubism or surrealism which should not be hard for a seven-year-old and a 12-year-old. <laughs> and um, and then we're going to go see the Guernica and we're going to go see some of the, um, we're going to go see, see some of Dolly's works. Now his most famous work um, is not uh, in the, it's not even in Spain. It's not in the Rena Sofia. Um, it is in the Museum of Modern Art in New York City. So um, that's the that's the one with the clocks. Um, oh, what is that called? What is the name of that? I'm I'm just looking. Um, I'm just looking up. It's like the memory persistence of memory. That's right. It's the persistence of memory. Um, that's the one with the clocks. That is in the MoMA Museum in New York City. Um, but you know, it, it's a it's a great way for my kids to learn about um, Spain. And then we have um, we're we're going to Toledo, and in Toledo they make the um, these swords. And, um, oh gosh, I, I have a story about this too. So I was in, they make, you know, swords and medieval armors and sabers and all sorts of stuff. Um, so there's, um, Toledo is a, is a very historical city. Um, and the swords came from, you know, Spanish customs that are, um, like the fifth from like the fifth century or something like that. So, when the when I took that group of students to to France and Spain that year that I um that I told you about, there was we were in Toledo and I will never forget I had this one student and he would he wanted to bring back swords like tons and tons and tons of swords like he would not stop talking about how badly he wanted to bring home these swords. And I told him like, no, at that time, now you can, I think you can put it in your check luggage or whatever, but I was not going to have this kid walking around Europe, um, going on the trains and stuff with these swords. So I told him no swords. Plus like I told him he'd have to ship it home and stuff. And like, we were just, we just didn't have time for that. So I said, no swords. Well, what happens is we get to the airport and he's got like all these swords in his bag. And, and of course, you know, there wouldn't, there's only like a certain amount of this, that kind of stuff you could bring home at that time. But anyway, um, so the, the program in Spain that we're partnering with, they've, they've, um, talked about how 
my kids can go um, and make a real, like to the sword making factory and make a sword from, um, you know, from these um, Iberian blacksmiths from the fifth century, like a sword that was like that. And it's just a little sword that they can take home with them. But um, anyway, so we're going to learn a little bit of the history of the swords. And we're going to talk about that before my kids have that experience too. So I'm making this a growth experience for us, a learning experience for my children. And who knows if we're going to be back in school full time by then anyway. Um, you know, my, my biggest thing is I want to make sure that my kids are learning and growing and, and doing, um, you know, applying their skills and, 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 and really feeding that prefrontal cortex. So anyway, um, we are out of time for today, but I want to thank you so much for listening. Um, I hope that um, there will not be as long a hiatus between um, this episode and the next one. I'm, I'm really going to try to keep getting them out once a week. Um, I will have some sponsors to share with you next time as well. Um, I, thank you again for listening. Merci beaucoup. And I will talk to you next time. Thank you.